right, welcome. Good morning. Come on in. Merry Christmas. If you're here as a guest, if this is your first Sunday here, I want to add my greeting uh, to you. My name is Mark Mullery. I serve as the teaching pastor here and really excited to uh, have you here this morning and excited to be able to talk about the glory of God. We've been in a series where we've been uh, talking about the glory of God and how we see that in, at, at Christmas. And uh, <clears throat> Stephanie mentioned that uh, we have our Christmas Eve service on Tuesday night, uh, which is, I think that's my favorite church service of the year. I love that time. And the sermon, Kenneth actually will be preaching, and the, the sermon is actually the, the last in the series on the, on the glory of God as we see this explosion of glory at uh, the arrival of Christ. So I want to encourage you, if you're around, to come back for that. Also, just wanted to mention next Sunday, uh, Edwin Lopez will be preaching. Edwin is one of the elders here. There you go. How do you like that? And um, he'll be preaching from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, about trusting in Christ. It's a very sweet, comforting passage. And so uh, that'll be next Sunday. And then after that, we begin a series in the Ten Commandments. And we're uh, starting with, with a message, why do we need the Ten Commandments? People wonder, Ten Commandments, that's, aren't those sort of relics from a bygone era, just a, a, a bunch of rules that we don't really need anymore? But actually, the Ten Commandments are a gift from God to us. They're the expression of the character of God worked out in everyday life. And they're a blueprint for how disciples following Jesus can and, and should live. And so... Uh, we hope that series will be edifying and strengthening and encouraging. And we want to just start with an explanation. Why do we need those Ten Commandments? So Vince on January 5 will be bringing that message. So this morning, the question, what is the hope of glory? Michael, I need to cough. So can you turn me off for just a second? Okay, we're good to go. <clears throat> Hopefully that's the last one of those. We'll see. I want to just begin... Uh, praying and asking for God's help. So join me, please, as I pray. Oh, God, our Father, as we gather here this morning, I pray very simply two things. Help us see Jesus. We've sung to him and about him. Let us see him in his glory. And I pray, seeing him, there would be a birth, a growth of hope in our hearts for this life and the life to come. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're here almost at the end of the year, and we're about to roll into 2020. And so I just want to Ask uh, if you take a moment with me at the beginning of the message here to just reflect a little bit. We live busy lives. We tend to not slow down and, and, and reflect much. We're always moving. We live in the city of the overcommitted and we're always connected. And, and so let's just slow down for a moment. And I just want to ask you to take a moment with me to just reflect on what's happened in the last year in your own life and then what's, what's coming in the next year. We're going we're gonna to just... Just ponder that for a, for a little bit. And then 
We're going to take what happens at Advent and we're going to connect that to our lives. And I trust and hope that as we see the glory of God at Advent, that the weight of that can influence your experience, uh, both coming out of one year and coming into another. So let's just take a moment, 2019. Just ponder for a moment, would you? What happened that was good? Maybe just make a, a mental note of what successes did you have? What were the joys of the last year? What are you thankful for? Grab hold of those. If you need to jot them down, do that. But, okay, 2019, what were the disappointments? The sorrows? Where was their suffering? Trouble? Loss? You got it? So just, when I ask, just hang on to those things. And now let's look ahead. 2020, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? What are your hopes for this coming year? What dreams do you have? 2020, what are you worried about? What do you feel anxious about? What fears do you have? What are your struggles? What tension do you experience even now looking forward? Okay, so you got those things. Just just want to encourage you to Hang on to those things. And I want to I wanna just take those, those disappointments and those fears, and I want to ask a question. With those things, in those things, where do you find hope? Where do you find hope in the midst of those things? And I want to say this morning... That what happens at Christmas is so powerful that it can transform how we live our lives. And in the midst of suffering, loss, difficulty, worries, fears, what we celebrate at Christmas can bring hope into those experiences. I want you to keep those lists in mind. Hang on to them. We're going to come back to them later. We're going to be armed with hope. But to get there, we need to focus on the glory of God. And then we'll circle back. So we've been in this series in the glory of God. And that's one of those phrases that if you're in church, if if you've been a Christian for a while or you're around Christians, that's one of those phrases that gets tossed around. But, But what is it? What is the glory of God? The Hebrew word for glory is this word kavod. And it means weight, heavy, the weightiness of God. So the glory of God is the the weightiness of all his character and his attributes and the excellencies of who he is. We've been working with this definition that God's glory is the manifestation of his majesty in acts of power. Think about that with me for just a moment. God's glory is is the manifestation of his majesty. What does that mean? Well, a manifestation is to reveal something. It's to make something known. To manifest something is to put it on display. And and in this case, it's a manifestation of God's majesty. Majesty is a word that we use about royalty, about kings. Majesty 
is, is, a, is an expression of his kingly power and greatness. And so God manifests his majesty. How? Well, in acts of power. So if you read through the Bible, you find the glory of God is, is God making himself known in acts of power, sometimes in creation, a thunderstorm. Often, most commonly in redemption, this pillar of fire protects the people of Israel from the Egyptian army. There's this act of power, the glory of God revealed to protect his people as they're emerging from Egypt. There's this coming of this cloud of glory when the tabernacle is built in the wilderness. And when Solomon builds his temple, it says that that the offerings were consumed by fire and then the glory filled the temple and no one could go in there because God is present. He's manifesting his majestic presence through this act of power, saying, I'm here to dwell with you in this in this temple. And so God's glory is the manifestation of his majesty and acts of power. And that revealing that manifesting of his glory calls forth a response. It, it requires a response from people. So seeing glory then results in giving glory. We give glory to God by worshiping him and honoring him, trusting him, obeying him, praising him. And so author J.I. Packer writes about this kind of this back and forth experience from seeing glory to giving glory. He says the to and fro of seeing glory in God and giving glory to God is the true fulfillment of human nature at its heart. This to and fro, this back and forth. You see God's glory. You give God glory. He says this is what we're made for. This is the fulfillment of of human nature at its heart and it brings supreme joy to man just as it does to God. God delights in the glory bringing of his people even as we delight in the glory seeing the manifestations of glory of our great God. And so this Advent series we've been seeing the glory of God. Come and see his glory. The real reason for Christmas is the title of the series. And so we started in Isaiah chapter 40, where the prophet Isaiah says, get ready. God is coming on the scene and his glory will be revealed. And what happens in the revealing of that glory? Well, it in this time, in this case, in what Isaiah is prophesying, the glory that's revealed isn't a pillar of fire or a cloud or a thunderstorm. It's a human being. It's a person. And so one of Jesus's disciples, John, says the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. I was with him. I saw him. And when I saw Jesus, I saw glory. So the glory of God comes to us in a person. Then we read in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact representation of his being. And so when we see Jesus, we see the glory of God in human form. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you have questions about the nature of God, the character of God, the, the personality of God, the attributes of God? You see all those things wrapped up in this person, Jesus. He's the radiance of God's glory. And so if you kind of follow what's been happening, we've seen God's glory to us predicted and prophesied by Isaiah, come to us 
in the person of Christ. We've seen God's glory for us as Jesus comes to be our Savior, the Lord and the King that we need. This morning we're taking one more step. There's a, there's a design to this series. So we've seen God's glory to us. We've seen God's glory for us. This morning, did you know that God's glory is in us? you know that if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, the glory of God is in you. Christ, the glorious one in you. The hope of glory. That little phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory is one of those phrases that I've read many times. It's in Colossians one. We're going to take a look at it in just a moment. But I'll be honest, I've read over it. It's one of those, oh, that's nice. That sounds cool. But if somebody asked me, like, what is that? Mark, what is the hope of glory? What, is, what does it mean for Christ and you to be the hope of glory? I would have really fumbled around, and it's been a, a joy to be able to, to, to soak in this and study this. And I, and I hope this will be strengthening and edifying to you. I hope that after this message, if you can't already, you'll be able to, 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 be able to grasp and grab hold of what it means to be a believer, to be able to say, Christ in you is the hope of glory. So let's look at the passage, Colossians 1. We're going to look at Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Now, the phrase that we're looking at, these seven words, Christ in you, the hope of glory, they're found in verse 27. And I'll, and I'll warn you, this is a theological thicket. This is Paul writing uh, to, the, to this church, and there's a lot going on conceptually here. So I'm going to just try to, uh, we'll read the passage, I'll, I'll try to navigate our way to, to verse 27, and we'll, we'll focus on that. So Colossians 1.24, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he's never been to. He didn't plant this church, but he, he's, he's aware of them. One of their, maybe the church planter, or one of their leaders, Epaphras, is, is with him as he's, as he's writing this from prison in, in, in Rome. And so he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, remember the word Gentiles is the word nations, how great among the nations are the riches of his of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present Everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, here's what's happening in this letter. He's writing to this church, and, and he wants this church, he just wants to dazzle with this, this church with the glories of Christ. He, he wants the church to know that Christ is preeminent, that Christ is supreme in all things. He's doing this because he, he's warning them that man-made 
religion and plausible arguments are working inside the church and he doesn't want those things to erode their confidence in Christ. And so he's reminding them of the sufficiency of Christ as ruler of all things and creator of all things and as the reconciler who's brought them to God. And then he's sort of explaining some of his ministry in this section to them. He's explaining how God has given him this stewardship, this ministry of the word and of making something that used to be unknown, used to be secret, now known. And so he says in verse 24, he says, first, I'm suffering for this ministry and this message. And but then he says in verse 25, he says, but I have this stewardship of this word that I'm I'm called to to fulfill, to to make known. And what is this? Word of God that he mentions in verse 25. Well, in verse 26, he, he elaborates a little bit. And he says, this word, you might think he's going to talk about the Bible. Or he's going to refer to that. Actually, he refers to the mystery that was hidden for long ages, but now has been revealed to the saints. Well, what is this mystery? He says it's, it's, it's an open secret. It's like a Christmas present that was there wrapped up for Hundreds of years for generations. And now it's been unwrapped and it's been opened up and it's been made known to the Gentiles. It's been made known to not just to Israel, not to the Jewish people only, but to all the nations. It's being made known. And, and that's really why we're here this morning, isn't it? Because of Advent, because of the arrival of Christ, who is that mystery made known to us. Skip down for just a second to chapter 2 and verse 2, and you'll see that he, he describes there as God's mystery. At the end of the verse, he says, God's mystery, which is Christ. The mystery of God, what, what the world had been waiting for, what, what salvation required, was the Son of God to be born of a virgin, to come as our Savior and our Lord, as our Rescuer. He's saying that mystery has now been made known. And in verse 27, he says something surprising. He says, God's chosen to make known in verse 27, he says to the saints, how great among the Gentiles, the nations are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ. And that's exactly what we'd expect. So the mystery is Christ. But then he adds these extra words that are a, a complete surprise. He says the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying God's secret now made known. It's focused on Christ, but it's working out in the lives of his people in such a way that it stirs and fuels hope. And this little phrase here. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the phrase we want to just get a hold of this morning. Sometimes Paul writes in a way that sort of everything builds to some climactic point in an argument. That's not exactly what's happening here. He's navigating his way through a variety of things. And, and along the way, it's like, it's like a, a, a gold nugget. My, my family has a, a cabin in Northern California on the Yuba River. The Yuba River was one of the rivers that was part of the, the gold rush, 1849 and, 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 and the second part of that century. All these people flooded to Northern California because there was gold all over the place. 
The Yuba River was one of those rivers. There aren't any big gold nuggets lying around there now because too many people have been there looking for gold. But you can imagine just being in a little stream and seeing just this huge nugget of gold. That's what this is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're going to just scoop this gold nugget up right now and we're going to we're going to examine it and, and look on it and, and 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 feast at it. Because when you can see what's in this phrase, Christ in you, when you can see who this Christ is who's in you and the glory that he brings to you and holds for you at the end of time, it truly changes everything about how you live today. So we're going to take this in two, two simple steps. First, Christ in you. I want you to see who this Christ is and ponder what it means for him to be in you and then what it means for him to be the hope of glory or to generate that hope inside of us. So Christ in you, who is this Christ? Now, if you've got got a Bible open in front of you, scroll back or turn the page back. I just want to read from the, the, the earlier part of this chapter. Maybe you want to follow along if you've got a Bible open or maybe you just want to listen. This is this Christ who's in you. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. The church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace By the blood of his cross. He is preeminent in everything. He's supreme. He's first. We have a supreme court. The supreme court is the final court. So all these other courts, when something comes to the supreme court and they rule, that's it. That's the end. Because that's the highest court in the land. Jesus Christ is supreme over every ruler, every authority, every power, every president, every general, every stock market, every family, every human being, every angel, every demon. He is supreme over all. He is supreme in creation and he is supreme in the church. He is the head of the church and by His blood, he has made peace. He has made reconciliation with God possible by his work at the cross. He has defeated all his enemies and ours as well. He defeated the enemy of death by dying and rising again. He defeated the enemy of sin by living a perfect life. He defeated the enemy of Satan by living in defiance of Satan's temptations and trusting and obeying his father perfectly. That Christ is awesome, is he not? That's our Savior. Now, 
Where is he? Where is he? And if you're well taught as a Christian, you probably know how to answer that, right? We know where he is. You say the Apostles' Creed here every month. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, right? Actually, Paul writes this in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We know where he is. He's at the right hand of God. And he is Christ in you. Let that sink in. When we talk about God, we can say many things about God and speak truly about God, but we'll never speak completely about God. The infinite God will always be ultimately too much for us to comprehend. And this Christ is not limited by space and time the way we are. In fact, He's the creator of space and time. He's the one who holds it together. And, and, and trying to get just sort of simple, complete explanations about God, it's like trying to wrap a big Christmas present with a single Kleenex. It's just not going to work. Whatever we learn about God, we're going to find over and over that there's always more. And, and that more leads us to worship the creator and, and so here, we who know that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father are also informed that Christ is in you. Now, if you follow the Greek in the passage, it's possible to translate this Christ among you. A little preposition N there can be translated several different ways. And it's possible that he could mean that Christ is among them in the uh, 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 the, the, the people of the church. But most of the translations and most of the commentators follow what the ESV is doing here and, and describe this little, or use, translate this little participle as Christ in you. I think one of the reasons why is right here in verse 29, Paul says, For this reason I toil, struggling with all his en- energy, that he powerfully works within me. He's talking about an energy from a person who's working in him. And I think we're on safe ground, both in the context here and in the rest of the New Testament, to say that this glorious Christ is in the believer. has come to make his home with you. Let me just give you a few places we can go in the New Testament to verify that. Romans 8 and verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Christ is in us by his spirit. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives where? See what it says? Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One more. Second Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Pause. Believer. Brother and sister. Do you realize this about yourself? That Jesus Christ is in you? He says, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. In other words, if you're not a Christian, then that's not true about you. But if you are a believer, Jesus Christ is in you. Now just just slow down. Let that sink in. This awesome Messiah. This long-awaited Savior. The Lord of glory. This dazzling Christ has made his home in you. I don't know about you, but I don't walk around thinking about that about myself. That's not a normal, regular thought for me. And when that starts to take root in me, change happens. How can I be sure that Christ is in me? Examine yourselves, the text said in 2 Corinthians 13. Is Christ in you? How can you be sure? I'll just give you three ways to know Christ is in you. First, are you trusting in his finished work, his work of atonement, this blood of the cross by which he's made reconciliation for people who trust in it? Are you trusting in his work? Second, are you trusting in his promises? Listen to the promise in John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, father and son, will come to him and make our home with him. That's the promise to the disciple. This Christ, his father, by his spirit, will make his home in you. Trusting in his finished work. Are you hoping in his promises? Third, are you experiencing him? The spirit-filled life is a life of experiencing the transforming work of a living Savior inside of you. Are you experiencing the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Not perfectly, not completely, but are they present and increasing in your life? Do you find when you read your Bible that you encounter God in a way that you didn't before you were a Christian? Do you find that when you're in trouble, there's something inside you that wants to call out to God for help? See, these are, these are evidences of Christ being in you. Do you find that you want to live for God's glory and you're saddened when you sin, when you fall short? Saddened by those harsh words or that promise unkept. You have a growing desire to be with other Christians. These are, these are the kinds of things that, that are going on inside of a believer because Christ is there. Christ in you. That's part one. Here's part two. The hope of glory. Now, let's think about this. What is this hope? 
We have all kinds of hopes, don't we? I hope it snows on Christmas. It never snows on Christmas. Why do we keep hoping for that? You know, I hope I get good grades. I hope I pass this class. I hope I make some new friends this year. I hope I get a raise. I hope this. I hope that. We have lots of hopes. I want to take you to the most important hope, and that is all of us, sooner or later, are coming to the end of our lives. Death comes for each one of us. What is your hope for what happens next? Man-made religion gives us a hope that if my good works just outweigh my bad works by one, I'm in. Or try to be a good person and God will accept you. But the gospel news is this. Jesus reconciles us not by what we've done, but by what he's done in our place at the cross. So that then we have a sure hope. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Look at the little phrase at the end. In glory. Hmm. Think about that. That's the hope of the believer. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. What does that mean? Appear with him in glory. When the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and when Christ has made all things new and cast out the devil and all evildoers, all who take glory for themselves and won't give glory to God, when they're all put out of his new city and his new kingdom, and he creates this new heaven and this new earth, then he says, you, the believer, the disciple, will appear with him in glory. I want you to think about what that might be like, to be with him in glory. Do you know what it's like to be in the presence of God? Isaiah, we mentioned one of his prophecies earlier. He had an experience where he encountered God in his throne room. You know that story. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. When he encountered this glorious, awesome, holy God, do you know what happened? He didn't say, wow, this is really great. You know what he did? He said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. I cannot, because of my sin, stand in the presence of this glory. And yet the promise is that when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. And so what will your experience be in that moment? Will it be cowering? Will it be, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Will it be, I must run from this and hide this. I can't even be near this. No. It will be utterly transformed so that you will be able to stand in the presence of the unveiled glory of your Savior. And you will not be ashamed. You will not be overwhelmed by guilt. You will be delighted to be welcomed into his presence because you yourself will be in a glorified state. That is the hope of glory. Revelation 21. Here's the scene. Verse 22. 
I saw no temple in the city for its temple. Remember what happened in the temple? The temple was the place where God met with his people through the sacrifice of atonement that was made there. And his glory came and filled that temple, evidencing that he had accepted that sacrifice so that this holy God could dwell amongst those people. But now in the new city, there's no temple. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. This new creation. What would it be like to live on this earth with no sun? We have to have the sun. Everything about life on this planet is connected to the sun. We spin the earth on its axis so that every day we have light and dark based on what's the position of, of where we are and the sun every year we loop around the sun in this new earth. There will be no sun. Why? Because a greater light will be present there and it will be the glorious God and the lamb who is Christ, who is our life, who is the glory of God. That is the hope of glory that awaits every believer. That's God's Christmas present for all of us. So now that all happens later. Here we are, December 22. We're right in the middle of things here today. And we're not quite in that city yet, are we? Life in Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C., life on planet Earth, it's not quite that glorious yet, is it? So what difference does that make here and now? Okay, go back to the... Beginning of the sermon. Remember those lists? Remember those disappointments? Remember those worries and fears? Remember those sorrows and losses? The hope of glory works its way right back into those places. The hope of glory changes the way you experience those things. It doesn't change the reality of those things, but it changes the way you experience those things. It changes the way you experience success and milestones as well. Do you know what happens when when Christ is in you and you have the hope of this glory and, and you you have some success, you, you, you have some milestone, this, some wonderful thing that happens to you instead of saying, oh, man, it doesn't get any better than this. You know, it gets better than this. So you say, self, you think this is good. Well, wait until you're in the presence of Christ in a glorified body. That will be really good. And then we flip it around. Go to that list. Grab a hold of this in your life right now. Where's where's their weakness? Suffering. Persecution. Disappointment. Bring your list right here. To the hope of glory. Bring it. Single parents struggling just to keep up. Maybe you're a parent with older kids and you're disappointed in how your kids are living or regretful about some of the decisions you've made as a parent. Maybe your career isn't working out like you'd planned. Maybe you're finding this holiday experience to be hard because there are loved ones that you're missing or your family's a 
mess. Maybe there are huge things going on in your life. Loneliness that's just gnawing at you and never seems to really go away. Or maybe there's sickness. Chronic sickness. Maybe it's just little things. We get tested in these little things too. Someone says, hey, let's meet up for coffee. I'd love to just connect and talk some more about this. And then you never hear from them again. Okay. You ready? Got that list? Now we're going to bring Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just think about a scale. Balance, right? So here we've got on one side, I want you to pile up everything that's on that list. Suffering, loss, persecution, disappointment, weakness, failure. Failure on your part, failure on the part of others. All that over on one side, okay? Now we're going to come to the other side. With Christ in glory. Which side do you think weighs more? Can you feel the weight of the glory of God as it comes to work in everyday life. Listen to the word of God, Romans 8:18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What do the scales look like? The guy who's writing that suffered more than I can even imagine. Read his list at the end of 2 Corinthians. What he's saying here from firsthand experience is, listen, you pile up all the sufferings over on this side, and then you take the glory that's to be revealed over on the other side, and that glory is so much greater. It overwhelms the experience of suffering here and now. He doesn't say that it takes it away. But it sure transforms it. It sure informs it. He's saying the believer is sustained and strengthened by this hope of being in glory with Christ. And the believer is sustained and strengthened by the presence of Christ in you right now. You're not on your own in this. It's not all up to you. Christ is in you. God is greatly glorified by believers who in the midst of weakness and suffering live in the hope of glory, keeping in step with the Spirit of Christ by holding on to the hope that's available in the midst of weakness. You know, it's great when somebody... something great happens to someone and they give glory to God. That's wonderful. Somebody, you know, wins a Super Bowl. I want to give glory to God. Praise God. He made this possible. Okay, that's that's great. That's awesome. And whenever we have successes, we want to thank and, and honor God. But there's a special kind of glory that comes to God. From the person who just lives in weakness, in sickness, in suffering, in persecution, in difficult and unchanging circumstances, and day by day, grabs a hold of Christ once more. And I'm looking at faces of people I know are living that way. And I hope you feel God's presence 
and pleasure and encouragement in that. We in this church have witnessed suffering. And we have this cloud of witnesses of people who are going before us and crossing the finish line. Hoping in Christ. Mark Walker. Sidney Fox. Dawn Jennings. Bruce Micah. Others who've gone before and others who will come. We are witnesses to the power of the living Christ giving hope in the midst of suffering. How do I know that what I believe is true? Because I see it lived out in the power of hope in the midst of weakness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, hear me. In light of eternity, the weight of suffering. Suffering's hard. In light of eternity, the weight of suffering is overwhelmingly outweighed by the weight of glory. What is the hope of glory? It's Him. It's Him. To be with the crucified and risen one in his glorified state, in a city of glory, in a glorified, deathless and sinless body. And to be there forever. Christ is that hope for us. You know what happens when you live like that? People around you say, what is up with you? And you get to explain how you have hope when it doesn't seem possible. But you do because Christ is in you. Because Christ is in you, you have the hope of glory. Amen. How about the worship team comes up and let's sing. Come now long expected Jesus. <laughs>